Finding this podcast magical? Why not toss a coin to your Witches and a Druid podcast through the Acast supporter feature? It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to show your support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Could have been. Welcome to Three Witches and a Druid Podcast, a Canadian podcast about paganism in today's modern society. And now, Three Witches and a Druid Podcast presents... Traveling Bard, Hobbs. Now once upon a time there was a, a family who lived on a farm. It was a mother and father, they had children. They all worked on the farm and they all had their chores to do. It was, it was a difficult life, very hard work, but it was a satisfying life. Now one year, around the time of harvest, almost overnight, the ground seemed to dry up and the crops withered. And famine came to the land of Japan. Now, the mother and father in that family, all they could do was watch their children grow thinner and thinner as the weeks passed. And they had to come to a very difficult decision. And they made it. They took their youngest son, who was the most delicate, and they took him into the mountains, up to the monastery. They asked to see the abbot. The abbot was brought forth. He received the family and said, yes, yes, what can I do for you? And the parents explained that because of the famine, they could no longer feed their youngest child. But please, they said, take him into the monastery. He is quick and he is bright and he will serve you well. We shall see, said the abbot. And he took the boy aside and he asked him three questions. Now, no one knows what the three questions were. But the boy answered so quickly and so well that immediately the abbot agreed. So the boy had to watch his parents make their way down the mountain. And he turned and looked at the monastery. It was made of cold stone. It was filled with people he did not know. And he grew frightened. But the abbot knelt next to him and he said, Do not worry. You are young and bright. Do the task that you are assigned and all will be well. The abbot took the boy into the monastery, showed him where he would sleep. And the boy took from his pack the only things in this world that he owned, a small stone tray, a brush made with a bamboo handle and black bristles and a small stick of black ink. For this child was an artist. And of all the things in this world that he could draw, the thing that he loved to draw the most, 
or cats. Now the days passed at the monastery. The boy did his job. He worked hard. Everyone seemed to like him well enough and everything seemed to go well for him and the people in that monastery. Until one morning, when the monks awoke, they yawned and stretched and walked into the great hall. And on the floor were dozens of drawn cats. Who is drawing cats here, they said. And immediately they looked at the boy. But they could see nothing amiss, so they let it go by. The next day, the monks, the monks awoke, yawned and stretched and walked into the great hall. And on the walls, there were dozens of drawn cats. Who is drawing cats here, they said. And again, they looked at the boy. But they could see nothing amiss, so they let it go by. The next day, the monks awoke, yawned and stretched and walked into the hall. The floor was clean. The walls were white. And the ceiling, the ceiling was stainless. <sighs> it's over, they said. Finally, no more cats. And they went to pick up their books to be able to do their sutra chanting. And when they opened up the books, in all the blank pages and along the margins, were drawn cats, cats on every page. Smacked their books shut. They went to see the abbot. He said, they said, that boy is drawing cats everywhere. You must make him stop or send him away. So the abbot called for the boy and he said, is it true? Is it you who's drawing cats everywhere? It is, said the boy. And I, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to, to damage the monastery or upset anyone. It's, it's just when I see a clean white surface, it, 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 it's stronger than I. I. I need to take my stone tray, crush the ink, mix it with water with my brush. And it's as if the cats just pour out of me. Perhaps it is your destiny, said the abbot, to become a great artist. But that is not our way here. Do the tasks that you were assigned all will be well. I will give you a second chance. And the boy agreed that he would try. And the weeks passed and nothing seemed to go wrong. No more cats appearing anywhere. Until one morning, the boy awoke. And before he even knew what he was doing, he removed his stone tray. He crushed the ink, mixed it with water, took the brush and drew a tiny cat on the wall next to his bed. But of course, the monks saw it. They ran directly to the abbot and they demanded that he be sent away. And the abbot had to agree. He walked the boy to the, to the front doors of the monastery and he said, It is your destiny that is calling you. You will not meet your destiny as an artist here. You must go out into the lands. Find your destiny. But before you go, I have this bit of advice. Avoid large places. Stay in small places. And the abbot gave the boy some food and sent him on his way. The boy didn't know what the, the warning meant, but he, he hoped that someday soon it would be made clear to him. And he made his way down the mountain and in, onto the roads. And a wind blew through the trees and the branches rubbed together and they sounded like old bones. boy realized he was alone in this world. Where would he sleep? What would he eat? Who would take care of him? And suddenly in his mind's eye, he could see a sleek white cat walking on the road before him. It 
walked up the road and would turn and look at him. And he began to follow it. And it led him through the, through the roads and through the mountain. And in the distance, he could see a large monastery. And he remembered the other monks talking about it. And maybe, maybe he could convince them that he was a good worker. Maybe they would take care of him. Maybe even they'd need an artist. And so he started making his way to that monastery. But what he didn't know was that monastery had been invaded by a demon that took the form of a giant goblin rat. And it had chased all the monks away. And travelers who walked the roads and they found the monastery when they spent the night there, they were never seen or heard from again. But the boy did not know that. He made his way to the monastery and knocked on the great oak doors. It sounded hollow and empty. Opening them up, he walked into the great hall and he could see no one. He thought maybe, maybe the monks are out looking for food. There is a famine in the land, or perhaps they would have to travel far. He would wait, he would wait there until they returned and convinced them that he was a good worker and he would serve them well. So he began to undo his bedroll. He was making, making ready to sleep there in the great hall when suddenly something caught his eye, something flashed. And he looked over and he found these beautiful wooden screens that were covered in white rice paper. And before he knew what he was doing, he pulled out his stone tray. He took his stick of black ink, mixed it with water. And with the brush, he began to draw cats upon the white screens. There were sitting cats and standing cats, laughing cats and crying cats, sleeping cats, fighting cats, dancing cats, cats all over the screen. The boy stood back and looked at his work that he had created with such passion and joy, and they were perfect. He got into his bedroll and he went to sleep, but his sleep was not restful. His dreams were filled with noise and screaming, and there he could see the monks talking and gibbering amongst themselves. He could see his parents weeping, and through all the noise came the voice of the abbot cutting like a line in the fog. Avoid large places, stay in small places. Avoid large places, stay in small places. And the boy woke up and he realized that he was sleeping in a large open space, the very type of space that the abbot had warned him about. He looked behind the screens and there he found a small cupboard. He was able to pick up his pack and his bedroll. He climbed into the cupboard and closed the door behind him. And he went to sleep. But during the night, there was a horrible shriek that echoed within the monastery. And there was a howling and a yowling and the sounds of great battle going on just on the other side of the screens. His furniture was smashed. The walls seemed to crumble. The very foundations of the monastery shook. And then it was silence. The boy huddled in that cupboard, terrified, but he knew that if he did not step out and look around the corner of those screens, he would surely die in the next instant. So he opened the door, he peered around the screens, and he saw a terrible sight. There was a giant goblin rat, dead, lying in a pool of its own blood. Boy realized that he had almost died that night, but he could see no one. He called out, Who? Who is it that has saved me from the horrible demon? 
and there was no answer. But he turned and looked at the screens and he saw the cats that he had drawn and they looked back at him emotionless. But every claw and every tooth was stained with fresh blood. And the boy knew that somehow these cats had saved him from the demon rat. He picked up his bedroll, he gathered his pack, he ran from the monastery, he went to see the abbot and told him what had happened. And the abbot agreed that it was the goblin rat, the demon, that had caused the famine to come to Japan. He took the boy back in. The boy worked in the monastery all of that year. The following spring, the grass came out green and lush. The crops again began to grow famine was dispelled from the lands of Japan and the people prospered. And the abbot sent the boy home. Go back to your family, he said. That is where you belong. That is where you will find your destiny. The boy returned to his home and that boy grew up to become one of Japan's greatest artists. But every day when that boy would wake up, before he did anything that day, he always drew at least one cats. And that is the boy who drew cats. Hello, and welcome back to Three Witches and a Druid, where we sit around and we're actually at the dining room table. Indoors. All together, indoors. <laughs> drinking another lovely magical beverage. From Witchcraft Cocktails. <laughs> and this week, we are going to talk about changes in society and the increase in popularity in pagans. I am Margo. And I am Maeve. I'm Gwen. And I'm Brian. So, yeah, we were looking for topics this week, and I think I read three or four like blog posts over the last month or so about this humongous influx of new people to paganism. And so I I run a fairly large, I say fairly large, fairly large Facebook group for the maritime pagan community. And I'd say in the last month, we've easily had 100 people join. Wow. Hey, Sorry, really? say again? In one month. Yeah, in one month. Wow. Uh, now, I don't, it's hot. Like, I'm not sitting here questioning these people. I don't know if they're brand new to paganism or if they're just discovering that Facebook his groups or what. But I, I'd say over the last few years, that group has grown astronomically. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's really, I think right now it's hovering around 1,200 members. Wow. And, well, the Halifax group on Facebook, I think is over 1,000. Yeah. There's a Pagan, Pagans in Canada, which is about five to 8,000 people. Yeah, there, there's some really big groups out there, but the interesting thing was all the new people joining. You know, we've had a lot of people move to the Maritimes due to COVID because they want to get out of the big cities. We came to little fishing village Halifax. Because it's so much safer here. Very. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Lately it's been a bit exciting. But, uh... Basically what I wanted to talk about was what are some of your guys' thoughts about what's going on in the world? What is drawing people to paganism. And what are your guys' thoughts on what's going on in the world around us that has made paganism like a hip, cool thing to be into? 
So it began probably in the 70s and then 80s, and it really took off more in the 90s when women really liked the idea of getting away from that patriarchal monotheist, and they found a goddess. Got a whole new life now, but I think, you know, that that's how it all began, a lot of it. Right. Now, I have said this many, many times over, so many people have a spiritual, a spiritual longing in them, and they're just, they have no idea what to do. I think a lot of people are spiritually bereft. Right. They drink a lot. They take a lot of vacations. They, you know, spend a lot of money on whatever, and you know, glamour. And, and somehow they're still not satisfied. And I think when people actually read about what paganism is, and now because, uh, you know, environmentalism is so popular in the world and actually trying to be a little nicer to each other, I think people have really really taken off. I mean, you know, you also have to remember, like we were talking about the shows there, you know, when Charmed came out and Buffy and the craft. And I also think that it's so popular because the last 20 years, there is so much. Right. In my day, you know, in the beginning when I came out in like, you know, mid eighties, there was like two books, maybe if you were lucky that you found. Now there's so much easy access. Right. And they can be more informed and go, I love this. Or they just think it's cool and they're going to hex people. Right. I, I think inside of everybody, everybody is seeking something. They want to believe in something. Be it they want to believe in that there's nothing there. Atheism. It's just another belief system. No matter how they want to paint it or color it. But everyone wants to believe in something in some way. And I think a lot of people have this idea of what paganism is. Now with the current COVID downtime, they've had a little bit of time to research or look into it and they realize, wait a minute, it's not at all what I thought it was. It's actually quite laid back and relaxed and no one's really here telling me what to do and no one's really, there's a book written by 12 old guys telling me how to do it. Well, I had a friend of mine once tell me, I really, really like your religion, but she said it's too much work. <laughs> she says religion to me should be Sunday morning, and then a nice dinner. And then you don't worry about the rest of the <laughs> That might be religion, but that's certainly not spirituality. No, yes. no. Yeah. And I think a lot of people also, especially with COVID and how everybody has been so separated and disconnected, the, the longing for community and for connection I think is a, another huge appeal of it. Right. And that it is so accepting and you, you don't have to fit a certain kind of mold or cliche or it's not like there's prerequisites right. to be accepted. Right. And the pen community is very accepting of any and everybody. Right. Any sexual orientation, any ethnicity, any, you know, LGBTQ. There might be another letter there that I might be missing. Right. But it, know, every, totally accepting. Yeah. Like, you know, where so many others are not necessarily. And that's that's a conversation that's had a lot. Is like, if you were not accepting those individuals, I, I would not count you as a pagan. Like you, that goes against everything to me what paganism stands for. I'm thinking that maybe the uh, Satcher communities had a big influx with the TV show Vikings. Yeah. And yeah. everybody like, you know what I mean? Viking and, and Well it's funny you mention that because just just recently there's a video game coming out. It has a depiction of of Thor in it. And the depiction of Thor is this big, round, rotund, strong man and everyone's like, he doesn't look muscular. It's like 
you're not getting Chris Hemsworth here. Like this is <laughs> this is what actual Thor looked like. What? What is it called? The Almighty Johnsons? Mm-hmm. Oh, you gotta watch the Almighty Johnsons on Netflix because Thor is not Chris Hemsworth in that either. That's a wonderful show too, The Almighty Johnsons, because they've all reincarnated into these people in Australia. It's a oh really? Oh yeah, oh, that's oh, hilarious. hilarious. And actually, that's interesting because there's also Ragnarok. Yeah. Which was, is a really good series on Netflix as well. Oh, it's a series. Uh, okay. It's a, a young fellow. I'm not sure if it's in Sweden or Norway. Like it is dubbed. It, it's not dubbed. It's subtitled. It's okay. a Norse production of a young fellow who he's one of the gods. I think okay. he might. I can't remember. I think he's Thor. Okay. But he's only 16. So it's and it's and it's has a huge environmental bent to it as well and it's really good and very kind of leave you hanging on the edge of your seat kind of situation but so along the same veins of like with covid everyone's feeling isolated it also is rather helpful that the world feels like it's a big fiery ball of hell <laughs> lunging itself into the sun at the moment is everything seems to go wrong at the same time with between the pandemic and the ocean being on fire. And Australia was on fire for yeah, a while. Yeah, Australia was on fire and more hurricanes than we can even name now. We have to move into Greek and alphabets. <laughs> like So there's a lot of that I wouldn't say pending doom, but there's a lot of sort of realization that the world around us is, is changing very drastically and not necessarily for the good. So people are looking for answers for what may may or may not be at the end or who they can ask for assistance. I'm curious, kind of along those lines, if the bulk of the new members that sort of are young, yeah. I think that also speaks to millennial distrust of previous organizations oh, and yes. that sort yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. On top of, like you say, you wouldn't consider somebody who help, you know, strongly holds discriminatory beliefs as being truly pagan. I don't think they're, uh, a millennial is willing to invest the average blanket statements here, of course, yeah. any time, energy or whatever in a belief system that still has remnants of that hasn't reformed, hasn't changed their right. look. And with everything, with the uh, terrible situation there you know they've discovered over the months with the uh residential schools and you know it's interesting you you say that because i know you know say my grandmother or you know whatnot would say oh but you know when i'm lonely or whatever i know jesus is with me and people are lonely they're isolated they're worried they're all of this and they and you know wanting that connection they just can't go for what they learned as a child many of them had parents who never took them to church yeah, they, they don't or have anything. those stories they, they don't have that they have nothing like that and and that i think is part of that inherent spiritual longing because you know even even us you know at my age and you know the past few years you know even when i feel alone or sad or whatever might be going on, you know, through my divorce and whatnot. I knew, you know, I had, I had my, my, the goddess with me and the god with me and I didn't feel so alone. So people are turning to that, I think, because Christianity just sadly, or Islam or Judaism or whatnot is just not an an option for them. It's not something that we consider. Right. 
for good or ill, and I'm not criticizing or saying. Oh it, no, no, no. If it's a good end, thing or anything, I'm just saying I think that's just the fact. In the in the end, whatever path brings you happiness, salvation, calm, <laughs> whatever works best for you, that's excellent. I think the conversation, like between the world on the verge of ending, and <laughs> <laughs> not sure what's going to come next. Yeah, no, it's what's going to come next in pandemic isolation, which is always fun, and environmental devastation. We come back to where the major league religions slash spiritualities just aren't pulling their weight or they're not evolving with the times. I would say that there, and some are, but again, just like everything else, it comes down to individual communities and who their individual spiritual leaders are that really spearhead that. But some at the, at the thinking level, they are trying to evolve and change in different areas. So I was reading a blog post by a, a Christian writer on the rise of paganism. And there is a theory that he was quoting, and I can't give you the author's name. He was quoting the New York Times, and there was a, an idea, and it's echoed in popular culture again, but we are moving into a era of being inspired by myths, and that is those are our, our Marvel movies and our superhero movies. Right. The, those giant heroic acts, those outwardly heroic acts. And we're transitioning sort of out of at least what seems to be culturally on the rise is the parable. So it's the heroic story versus the parable where a lot of parables are about internal work and they're either or and they're not mythic and symbolic. They're pretty pragmatic and you know, and it's about small acts and it's personal salvation where the myth stories are on a grander scale and I think possibly Brian you've been talking about we have mythic enemies right now we have mythic enemies in in climate change and and uh, pandemic and those sorts of things and these are really speaking to people and that so it's a very interesting it's a very interesting change in culturally what inspires us. I was thinking because I recently reread it, Brendan Myers, Canadian yep. author's book, um, Other Side of Virtue. And he talks about those heroic stories and and where even the virtues that underlie a lot of what's going on now have come from mm-hmm. that, those mythic stories. Also, Joseph Campbell writes a lot about, uh, about like that. that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, when you were saying that, it was going through my head that I think when you look at, you know, some of the more traditional monotheistic, when they have their stories in their holy books, they don't stress to people that these are, uh, oh my gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Symbolic. You're That's thinking, right. You're thinking there, that there is sometimes that line, like people take it as very... Um, Metaphorical, there yeah, we are. Where, where you know, if you're watching a Marvel movie and there's Thor and Captain America and this and that, you know it's metaphor. Yeah, and I mean that's one thing in paganism. We do understand as much as we believe it's metaphor. Yes, as opposed to well, yeah, you absolutely have to believe this. It's absolutely you know the the dire truth where people can can get their head around the lessons of a metaphor far more than they can. Oh yes, it actually did rain frogs or something. Right. Yes. You know, like we're all a hundred percent. Yeah. The storytelling way of teaching asks more of the listener 
Mm-hmm. You know, the listener has to be present there and make those connections. But that there's that expectation in that yes. style of learning that people are going to do that. When I deal with people that are new to paganism, and I've, you know, in my work, I've come across that. It's both inspiring, like we talk about how you have this personal autonomy, but there's personal responsibility for your spiritual path. And even even when you choose a group, there's personal responsibility in all of those choices about does the group's beliefs kind of line up with yours and do they allow for variations and all of those sorts of things. And sometimes people just want it to be easy. Not even just Sunday morning, but they're mm-hmm. like, tell me, is this right or wrong? Yeah. Tell they, me, is this, don't make me choose. so used to being told yeah. what to do and what to believe that the idea that they have that freedom is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Overwhelming. Yes. Overwhelming. <laughs> and, and also, I can also see, because we have these... Well, we, we are having a surge in numbers, I would say, in alternative religions and neo-paganism for sure. We can also see on a world stage an increase in fundamentalism in various religions. Yes, and that's because people are scared. Yes. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll invest in this system of belief if it gives me a clear answer. Mm-hmm. And if that clear answer is, I'm not getting a vaccine or I'm not doing this or you can't you can't have that abortion, then I guess I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. People oh, double yeah. down once they, they do. do that investment. When, they just, when times are bad economically or socially, yeah. people do tend to cling really hard to, to fundamentalism. But, and this is just a little sideline, my father, he talks about, when he's talking about economics, he says, you can tell what economic times are like by the length of a woman's skirt. He says when things got really, really good, skirts went short. Yeah. The economic times got more conservative. Fat, you know, skirts went, was bad went down. down. Cause he was a school teacher for 30 yeah. years, right? Teaching in high school and junior high. And he says the, the when economic times and things were freer and easier and, you know, cause we weren't very conservative, more liberal, skirts went up. <laughs> skirts went back down. And he's not commenting about, you know, all women in their clothes, you know, so no, to speak. Exactly. It was, if you look at the length of skirts, yeah, it's as you can tell what it's like economically and socially. <laughs> and I can see that in a way too, because that's also a way for a woman to express her individuality, mm-hmm. her sense of freedom, her sense of self. And when she's more confident, she can wear what she wants and doesn't feel she needs to hide, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. But when when things are you know, less stable and everybody is, you know, in a tizzy over Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever's going on, people are less secure and want to cover up and want to hide. That's Mm -hmm. just my personal I think for guys, maybe it's hair length. Oh, maybe. You know what, historically now, you can have long or short or whatever you want, but stop and think, you know, come the 60s, men grew longer hair, and it went, you know, up and down, things like that. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. It was just an interesting little thing. he said it several times, and I just came to my head right now. <laughs> Skirt length. So, just to go slightly back to what you were saying about myths and legends and lore, mm-hmm. uh, we're recording this in September, and this year was the 20th anniversary of September 11th. I don't know why, maybe I just personally hated myself. I decided I was going to watch a bunch of documentaries about September 11th. I think I watched 
26 hours of documentary. Oh my gosh. There's a lot out there. How are you well, still here? I, uh, like we, as all of us, we all live through that experience. And we can work in New York, of course, right now, yeah. fact. But I was looking for the little stories, the happy little stories. Mm-hmm. And everyone I told this to was like, what are you talking about? Like, this September 11th, it was a terrible, tragic event. And I'm like, yes. But in those terrible, tragic events are always the heroes. Yes. There's always the little stories that get lost. What I was looking for and what I found were the stories of person A, rescued person B, talked about outside and never seen them again. Mm. And then six years later, they reconnected. Or the stories of like Gander, Newfoundland, where they yeah. saved all the, like, they hosted all the people. Those were what I was looking for. I'm not looking for stories of the terrorists or the politics or any of that. Like, I, I know that. I don't need yeah. that. But I'm looking for the folklore stories, which will either be remembered in song or story 100 years from now or completely forgotten. I don't yeah. know. So. That, that's very interesting. Yeah. And it, and it goes completely with, you know, the heroes and the myth and the... Well, and all that. We're, looking, we're looking for someone to save me. Yeah. As you were saying, we were entering that era of mysticism, uh, of stories. And I thought, like, I wonder if major tragic events has sort of begun that. Yeah. Yeah. That I I think of um, that Gander story. That That is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, this it terrible, does. tragic thing happened. But... There's still humanity. There's yeah, still that's goodness. Right. That whole town stepped up and was overwhelmed by the people that came through the doors. Yeah. So you, as you're talking about, you yeah. you mentioned like epic villains. That situation was an epic villain, but there was still multiple heroes. There was still multiple heroes. Yeah. I think when you look for those, you always find them. And I come across people that focus on that epic villain and they forget that... That villain is such a small percentage of the population that, like, we have greater events like a pandemic, those sorts of things. But individual people, people are good. Yeah. People are wonderful. They really, yeah. it, it is. So, and, and, and those heroic stories are, I think, I think people, yeah, can see themselves, can, can see a world they want to be part of. Right. And I think part of part of our issue in and this is just a personal opinion, part of our issue in our society nowadays with the internet, while it is an excellent tool that allows us to access more information than we've ever been able to in the past, also look at cat pictures. <laughs> I think sometimes we as people don't know how to process all that information. Oh, so we sure. hear about these brutal riots in LA or this terrible fire in Dubai or an earthquake in Japan and our brain just can't understand that these things are not connected. They are hundreds of thousands of miles from each other and they're completely disconnected from one another. They're completely disconnected from you. And while in the grant, it's, it's not a bad idea to be sort of aware of what's going on, understanding that that fire in New York is not you. It's not... The immediacy of that 
um, visual and sound brings to us with this increased technology. It's not like a newspaper report that you would mm-hmm. get the next day, possibly over a wire. Right, and exactly. you read it and you process that through your brain first. Mm-hmm. And then people do feel, because well-written things make you feel, but it, it goes through your brain first. When you're assaulted by images and sounds, that hits your your emotional self first and then you puzzle it out and not everybody moves past that emotional whatever to the thinking part there was uh, what was it last year when that big explosion in in Beirut was it in Lebanon and you're watching it and you just think oh those poor people oh those poor people and then you think well if it was us, oh my goodness, and how much of Halifax would that have taken We're a up? city. Yeah. And oh my goodness, where again, years ago you just read the newspaper or heard it on the news, it, it, it makes you more upset. I do find I, by times, have to go through long stretches of just not even watching the news. Can't yeah. I'm doing this, or you hear terrible things happening, and I get so sad. It's like I feel for those people, which is very interesting because you would think that that would make a as a society, and maybe we are becoming more compassionate to others as a society, but when you get scared like that, or just it hits you emotionally, it'll make you withdraw and not want anything to do with it. So you isolate yourself in a way. So it's it's very interesting because it can make you think, oh, there's people that's terrible and have compassion, but at the same time, it can freak you out so bad. I can't even think about that, so I'm just, you know, too bad. Well, it it triggers in people the, the fight or flight. Yeah. Except... There is nothing to fight or flight from. This mm-hmm. is on the other side of the world, but in your brain, it's still like, yeah. what am I going to do in this situation? Yeah, so, like I said, while it's a good idea to have a rough idea of what's going on, mm-hmm. sometimes you need to step back. Yeah. So, yeah, and where this brings you back to paganism is that it's a calmer situation. Paganism is not, to me, is not, here's a book, follow it, you gotta do exactly what the book says, and if you don't, all's going to hell. Paganism doesn't have that, and that's, I think, the appealing part. It's so adaptable. Yeah. You can pick and choose. I know that sounds terrible, so long as you're following the one kind of don't harm anyone, including yourself. I would like to have a podcast in the future about that. I, I think that's one of the bigger, bigger topics I think that pagans need to have, is what are our morals and ethics? And it's not necessarily as a doctrine, just uh, I kind of feel we all should be on the same page. I think it's a, a, a life philosophy and not and not a rule that right. do it or the consequences are your eternal soul. There are things that ideally bind us together. And right. those are possibly a philosophy of life, of, of how we see our connection exactly. to yeah. each other and mm-hmm. within the world. And most people do, you know, if you ask 99.897% of the population, <laughs> that, you know, I'm going to leave that little teeny bit, you know, if you're walking at a mall and you talk, oh yes, you need to be kind to each other, we need to do this and we need to do that, and yet, it's somehow not gelling in the world. It's crazy. I, it's I wondered, an article I wrote some time ago was for an MPGFA newsletter I remember one year was quotation marks the golden rule which and and how that transcends culture and geography and everybody has that equivalent 
culturally relevant equivalent to do unto others as you would have them do unto you Mm -hmm. and to look at the world that way. And yet that seems to be hard for us as a species, whether it comes from that fight or flight, if that's what triggers it, whether it comes from whatever we have that we we understand that that's how the, the best way for the world to work on an intellectual abstract basis but when push comes to shove we wouldn't be here now people are i think still frightened which fuels selfishness i think we and it's all about protect me. I'm going to protect me. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one that's important. Right. Rather than realizing that if you help protect everybody and everybody else helps protect everybody, that is everybody so much is stronger. It yes. is. And two things about that is first, on a world history sort of thing, we're not out of the trees long enough to not consider ourselves prey. Yeah. That instinct, that I fight think. or flight is we're not under the trees long enough. The other thing is... I'm on partridge, I freeze. My <laughs> flight or freeze, just running over with the car. I'm, I'm immobile in the road there. I don't think I've been in enough situations to know. I know for a fact that Kim is quite cheated. I've gotten punched in the face. <laughs> not like on purpose, but like... You scare her. Yeah. The thing too is, is I think that a lot of people... People who grab power, people who overthrow governments, people who, not all politicians, but many, I think many of them are morally bereft. There's something in them that doesn't have the fight or flight. And if people can, you know, you can get a dictatorship in a country. And hell, even in our country, we get the People's Party (laughs) popping up because they want Donald Trump to live here or something crazy like that. And I think the people who can be in control and the government and these people can make you scared so they yeah. can control you. You know, oh, people are always worried about crimes and break-ins. Crime is lower now than it has ever been years and years forever. And yet people are so paranoid and they're so crazy and everyone's got a house alarm and everyone's so scared because you get preyed on. And in fact, a lot of it I don't think is true. And I think if people just said, wait a minute, you can't talk me into that. I'm going to be nice to these people here. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think they learned um, with advertising that fear sells, and politics got on board and used fear to, to sell platforms and, and gain popularity. Well, what's the newest one I heard? I couldn't believe it. We shouldn't be giving, you know, young girls... You know, girls from, you know, 5 to 18 should not be getting the vaccine because it's going to make them sterile. This is something that people are pushing right now. It's going to make you stay, going to make women sterile. I'm like, what? Who? What? Where do they get? I yeah. don't know, but people yeah. are listening. There's a whole crowd of people now, you know, and, you know. That- I just, I like the idea that kindness is punk. Yes. You know, right. in this day and age, be punk. Be punk. Being kind is against the establishment. It's not what they want. Mm-hmm. And kindness is punk. It is. And what what is that other one that, you know, if you work full time, you should be able to, you know, have a place and enough food to eat? When did that become a big leftist? Yeah. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> you know, kind of. 
you. Yeah, how dare you think that? How dare you think that? But it, it's it's just everything right now. Like the world is is we are in in two hundred years. Our great 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 grandkids or whatever are going to be talking about this time, and it's going to be it's going to be one of those wild times in history because isn't something going on in the astrology right now that hasn't happened since Martin Luther yeah. you know put his paper up on the on the gate. Yeah, you know the door. Times are changing. Things are, are really wild. It hasn't been this crazy since the sixties. Is your Mars bars and Gatorade? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you mean? I don't understand what that means. No, Mars in retrograde. retrograde. Oh, you Mars, never heard the Mars bar and Gatorade? No, but Mars is Mars, not Mars. Mercury's in retrograde right now, oh. and many others, or, and, or they're moving into it. It's one of it's a tough time. Well, I, I can I'm tell you right now, what Mercury retrograde is three days old. It's already kicking my ass. <laughs> oh my god, it's kicking my ass. <laughs> so, yeah, Mars is having a retrograde because yeah, it, it's really nutty right now. Yes. Everything's nutty. Just hunker down and hang on. It's good. with your friends. Yeah, yeah. Well, now we can see our friends. Yes, yes. yes. Well, hopefully things are going nutty. Hopefully we won't be uh, in mini lockdown. And for anyone listening in Alberta, I don't know what to say. My thoughts are with you. Our thoughts thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. For the love of God, put your mask on. Yeah, like please. Okay, well, look, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And you can get a hold of us through our Facebook page. And uh, we certainly welcome any comments or suggestions politely. If you want to support us, uh, we enjoy feeding our uh, sound editor coffee on occasion. She's only getting like half a cup right now, but it's good. Uh, you can find us on patreon.com slash rewitchesinthegroon. All right, well, look, thank you very much. And until next time, everybody, merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again. Blessed be. This has been Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Thanks for listening.